0: This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Knappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay Voices On Air. Hello and welcome to Alive with Bhavna. Thank you for listening to today's show where I'll be talking about the effects of stress on the mind and the body. For those that are new to my show, I'm Bhavna Nagar. I've worked as a clinical psychologist for the past 20 years, both in New Zealand and in South Africa, where I come from. I came to New Zealand 13 years ago. I started my own business, which is called Alive Psychology. Although my mindfulness grew out of my practice in South Africa, it grew and matured into the self-love practice here in New Zealand. This resulted in me writing a book entitled Self-Love, The First Step. It's a book that gives people practical tools to improve their relationship with themselves. The book combines trusted psychological approaches as well as reliable mindfulness practice. So you get the best of both worlds. Over the last few months, I've become acutely aware of the effects of stress on our minds and our bodies. Chronic stress has been linked to contributing to many illnesses and diseases that are so prominent in our society. Heart issues, breathing conditions, digestive issues, cognitive decline, and many others. Please know that this is not a cause, it's a significant contributing factor. That means that it's just one of the factors that contribute to uh, disease development. To understand how stress impacts our body, let's look at what happens when we are stressed. What I'm calling stress is the chronic condition in which you feel like you're running all the time. You're feeling tense and unfocused. This type of stress activates the fight, flight or freeze response. This is our survival mechanism that's built into our part of the part of our brain that looks out for danger. If we can fight, then we do. If not, we flee. If neither option is available, we freeze. Many clients who have been sexually abused tell me that they tried to fight, and when they realized that their fight wasn't going to save them, they freezed, and they freezed by separating from their bodies. So their mind went somewhere else, to the light outside, to the sound of the neighbour, to something outside of themselves. Clients who've been in accidents tell me a similar story. They say initially they tried to take defensive action to prevent the accident. But then when they realised the accident was going to happen, they left their body just before the moment of impact. For some people, especially women and young children, they've been taught not to fight or to respect their elders and not talk back. So they don't fight. Instead, they only have the freeze response available. Children are powerless to fight an adult. The fight, flight, or freeze response is not just for traumatic events, like the ones I've spoken about. It is any time our mind or body perceives a threat. The threat can be real or imagined. This system is designed to keep us alive. The system is maintained and activated, and deactivated, primarily by our vagal nerves. Although the system is great, it's flawed in that it cannot differentiate between real and imagined threats, and is triggered by even the smallest thing, the look from your loved one that makes you feel like you did something wrong, heavy workloads, Feeling that people are judging or criticizing you, or that someone just doesn't like you, a sense of dis ease that you s- feel when you hear or see or smell something. This flight, fight or flight system can also be activated by thoughts. Thinking about something that happened last week, last year, or ten years ago can cause my fight or flight system to be activated thinking about that unpleasant conversation that I have to have with someone or that someone might have to have that conversation with me activates the fight-or-flight system. And anything that keeps us in a feeling of vague anxiety activates your fight-or-flight system. So literally anything can trigger the survival system because it's so attuned to what's going on inside and outside of us. So it doesn't take much to activate it, but it does take some effort calm it down. So what happens when the system is activated? Your body is filled with hormones and energy that it needs to either fight or flee. This is primarily in terms of adrenaline which is used to activate or speed up the system and cortisone to give it a quick dose of energy. It shuts down parts of my body that it's not needed during the crisis This system is designed to be short-lived, a quick boost of energy, and then recovery. So what happens when our fight-or-flight system is activated? And before I go into the list, as you're listening to this, see if you can activate those parts of your body now without a fear response and just feel what it feels like in your body. So the parts that are activated during our fight-or-flight response One is my brain goes offline. My thinking brain is shut off and my instinct brain takes over because I don't have time to think. It's action time. Two, our vision and hearing becomes narrowed. It's focused on the danger so it can be more easily spotted so I can see what's going on. Three, my mouth becomes dry. Saliva is part of the digestive system, which is not really needed at this moment. My jaws tighten, so that my face looks more fierce and angry. My neck muscles tighten, so that it gives me a sense of being bigger. Shoulders tighten and lift, again, to give me a sense of looking bigger and stronger. My heart beats faster, so that oxygenated blood can flow and... My breathing becomes shallow and fast so that I can get rid of um, carbon dioxide a lot quicker. My digestion stops because really digestion is not needed at this moment when I'm fighting or fleeing. And my bladder and bowels, either they tighten or I let go. We've all heard of people saying I shut myself in times of fear or threat. Now, if you're tightening some of these parts, how do you feel? My guess is that it feels unpleasant because this is generating power and energy for you to fight or flee. But at this moment, there's nothing to fight or run away from. So please allow your body to relax and come back to its normal natural state by relaxing the jaws, so moving your jaws from side to side, making saliva and swallowing. Moving your neck, looking from side to side, rolling your shoulders and just allowing your breathing to come back to normal. All of these activities that I've just given you deactivates our vagal nerve and tells my body that it's safe. I can switch off the fight or flight response. Some of these responses are how most people live their daily lives. For some people, it's just part of their normal state of mind to have tight shoulders, to have a tight jaw, to grind their teeth at night. Most people only breathe from the top of their lungs and don't do belly breathing. This type of breathing activates our fight-or-flight response, and it tells my vagal nerve that things are unsafe. Same with the tight jaw. The medium-term effects of being in this state is that my head feels fluffy or I have difficulty thinking or concentrating because my brain, my thinking brain, is offline. But I need to force myself to focus, so I try harder, thereby causing more stress to my already stressed system. As a result, I can't switch off the thinking part of my brain, and I can't stop thinking about work or that thing that's worrying me or causing me stress. So when I go to bed at night, I'm feeling anxious and still thinking about the stuff that's worrying me. This thinking about it keeps my fight-or-flight system activated and tells my body, be alert. Now I want to go sleep, but that doesn't work because I can't be activated and tell my body, relax, chill, it's safe to let go. Sleep is a letting go process, a shutting down. I can't do that unless I feel safe. If my fight or flight system is activated and I will have difficulty falling or staying asleep because my mind keeps waking me up, keeps looking out for danger, keeps worrying, I can't relax fully, so I might use alcohol, medication or drugs to calm me down. Even though that might work in the short term, it's not really addressing the root cause of my problem, and it might cause other problems later. The effects of the fight-or-flight response on the facial muscles can result in tension headaches or migraines, if they are prolonged. Just holding that tension for a short while, you may have noticed the feeling of tension and maybe the starting of a headache. Long-term, a fuzzy brain and tension can contribute to the development of certain types of dementias. Again, this is not a cause, but a contributing factor. In the chest area, prolonged racing heart and short breath can contribute to the development of cardiovascular issues like heart attacks, strokes, asthma, so on. The shutting down of the digestive system during the fight or flight can contribute to the development of serious issues over a long period of time. There's considerable research that shows the link between the gut and the brain. Healthy gut equals healthy brain. A gut that shuts down poses a problem to the entire system, because even if you are eating healthy foods, your body is unable to absorb all the nutrients because the gut is under-functioning. So your body is starved of fuel that it needs to keep the system running, to keep giving you the energy that you're demanding by keeping your fight-or-flight system activated. There's also a lot of research that indicates that a lack of nutrients can contribute or mimic symptoms of anxiety and depression, irritability and other mood. Hangry is a word that we've come up with, which just indicates the link between how my body responds to a lack of food or nutrients. I get angry when I'm hungry. Therefore, we got the word hangry. Now imagine what your body feels like under chronic stress with limited nutrients. So now I'm moody, anxious, depressed, and having difficulty concentrating. I have headaches also, so I go see my GP and get some pills to help with these symptoms. Or I just might self-medicate. But because the cause of the distress is not addressed, I just keep on going. I keep on fueling myself, using my energy to get me going, to push harder. I might even decide, you know what, I need to take up an exercise routine just to get me going. So I go hard out to the gym. I run. I push myself, thereby using that little precious energy that my body has left. And I just keep going and going until the only response that my body has left is freeze because it's done the fight or flight. It's out of options. So I freeze. Freeze is when I get sick or can't get out of bed. It might be short-term, like the cold or flu symptoms, migraines. If I still ignore my body, I might get a bigger freeze response, chronic fatigue or burnout. Please note, once again, chronic fatigue is not caused by the system. It's a contributing factor, the stress. Both words, chronic fatigue and burnout, indicate I have nothing left. I'm empty. Finished. Totally knocked out. Then my only option is left, is to stop. But even then, I try to fight. Because I don't recognize how my mental attitude of fighting and keep going and keeping the fight or flight system going is causing this distress. So I just keep trying harder and harder, even when my body fights back and says, I've got nothing left to give you. This is how disconnected we are from our bodies. So how to down-regulate your fight-or-flight system? I've already given you some suggestions earlier in this talk. To down we need to actively do the opposite of what our bodies do in the fight-or-flight response. A considerable amount of vagal nerves are in our facial areas. So the active relaxing of the jaw, moving it around, making saliva, swallowing, moving your neck from side to side, rolling your shoulders, are ways in which we communicate to the vagal nerve that it's safe to relax. As we do these exercises slowly and consciously, you will also notice that your breathing slows down. If you do them fast, you're still keeping on the fight-or-flight system. So you have to do them slowly for the body to get the message that it's safe to slow down, it's safe to stop. We are in safety at the moment. Paying attention to what you're doing, paying attention to what you see when you look to the left or the right or move your eyes. Another way to downregulate the fight or flight system or the vagal nerve is to hum. We don't normally sing or hum when we're stressed or angry or distressed. It's a soothing activity. Yawning, sighing, yawning and sighing are natural ways in which we communicate to the vagal nerve that it's okay to rest during the day. These are natural built into to our system. We naturally yawn and yawn, sigh during the day. We often have a big sigh when something is over, something big that we've been working on, or you've just come through a really tense day, you have this big sigh. These are natural message systems to our body to go, that's over, I'm now safe. Humming from our get, gut, so really if you can bring the sound up from your gut, also activates the vagal nerves. Dancing. If you like doing that, music helps us move to a rhythm. We lose ourselves in that and it connects with our body. So, and it's also a nice healthy way of burning out the energy that's still coursing through your veins. So, Yeah. Dancing is lovely for that. Dancing and losing yourself in the music also communicates relaxation, fun, party time. All of these that I've mentioned is important to reteach your body how to relax and downregulate. However, if you only do these activities, it's a band-aid treatment. Because they work in the short term. They a sh- short message of it's safe, but if you keep the fight or flight going in your mind, you're going, it's safe, no it's not, it's safe, no it's not. So we have to learn how to do these things with our bodies and our thoughts. So learning how to down-regulate the mind is really important part of this process of deactivating the fight or flight system. Learning how to stop obsessing or those repetitive thoughts and to switch off is essential to our physical and mental well-being. This is where mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness is about learning how to focus on the mind, on what I want it to do and not what it wants to focus on. So training myself to focus on where I am and that it's safe in this moment. A simple way of doing mindfulness is just noticing how your body is breathing you in this moment. Just really noticing the rising and the falling of the chest. Or noticing as you breathe in, if you can extend your hands and as you breathe out, bring your hands together. And just coordinate those movements your breathing. And breathing with our hands helps us to calm our minds down because it gives us a sense of focus. But it also calms our breathing down because I can see how fast I'm breathing, how slow I'm breathing, how deep I'm breathing, how shallow I'm breathing. And just play with that idea of breathing with your hands, either moving them from side to side as you breathe in and out or up and down as you breathe in and out. There are also numerous mindfulness apps out there. Although I'm not a fan of these apps, for someone starting on the journey, it's a great way for you to start. Find one that you like and stick with that one. Stop searching for the best app because the act of searching keeps the fight or flight going, keeps you tense because I need to get the right one. So stop searching, pick one, that's good enough. And the best way to learn mindfulness is obviously in person. And on that note, my next retreat is Embodied Mindfulness and Self-Love. It's a woman's owning retreat, and it's from the 19th to the 23rd of March in the Coromandel. For more details, see my website, which is alivepsych.co.nz. I hope that you found this talk useful. If you have any questions, please contact me on my website. You can also find me on Facebook, which is Alive Psychology. And check out my TED Talk, which is on my website, which is alivepsych.com.nz. Thank you.